So if you can make your way back to your seats. And it's a real joy this morning to welcome once again Jeremy and Ann Simpkins to Fredericton and to Christ Central Church. And Jeremy and Ann have been coming to be part of our church family since 2009, so almost 10 years. And so Jeremy helps lead our family of churches in Christ Central Churches, and they're based in Sheffield in England. And so, again, it's been our privilege to work uh, together for many years, and so we're thrilled to have them back with us. And Jeremy's going to be coming and bring God's Word this morning, so let's give him our best attention. And Jeremy and Ann, welcome. Thank you, Joe. Thank you very much. So good to be here. Uh, love the new venue. Uh, love the new sense of what God's doing amongst you. Enjoyed the worship this morning. Good to see the drummer drumming. <laughs> Little drummer boy. Well done. Brilliant. And uh, it was just great to see Beth growing in her worship leading. I remember the first time uh, we encountered... Where is Beth? She's gone. I remember the first time we encountered uh, the Dreiser family. And uh, it was like the Von Trapp family as they gathered around. <laughs> and uh, just to see Beth growing uh, and to see her growing in her gift is just wonderful. So well done, Beth. I know you're not in right now, but uh, she's getting warm. Avoiding you. She's avoiding me. She knows I'm going to say something. And Joe is just here as my... my he keeps me on track. When I say something inappropriate, Joe will just kind of kick me and kick, kick me and kick, kick, kick me into touch. There you are, Beth. I was just saying I enjoyed the worship this morning and other things. <laughs> I do honestly believe that God's put a word on my heart for you. Uh, it's something that stirred with me some time ago, but I just felt freshly this came to life for me. And uh, you're going to have to forgive me because it does reference waters. Uh, and I know that uh, that's, uh, I've been just waiting for those prophetic words to come. And you've been very good, actually. Uh, you have, you've held back from uh, the flooding of God's presence in and all these sort of things. Um, I, 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 I was expecting lots of those this morning. But uh, I, it's interesting because I was sharing with Mark what, what I've, Mark said, what have you got on your heart to bring? And I, I said there's this particular scripture, kind of unusual scripture uh, in Genesis 26 that I just feel is on my heart for you. And he says, oh, that's amazing. I prophesied out of that exact scripture at TAG a week or two ago. So if you've got a Bible, it's Genesis, Genesis chapter 26. And the context is Isaac reopening the wells that had been filled in, that had originally been dug by his father, Abraham. These were the family wells, as it were. These, there was some inheritance attached to them. They obviously lived in a desert, dry place, and wells and water were their only provision. And it was interesting going out to Ben, Ben um, and Jill's house yesterday, and hearing about your well, and that is your only water supply. And if the uh, electricity fails, we have problems because we can't get water out of the well. It was a little bit like that for them. Wells were their life. It was their life source. It was everything that they needed. And this was a, a family well. There was an inheritance involved with it from Abraham, his father. But unfortunately, it had been filled with all sorts of junk. If you actually look at the verses before, I'm going to read from verse 17. But if you uh, look at the verses before, it talks about uh, verse 15, the wells that his father's servants had dug in the times of his father Abraham. The Philistines had stopped them up and filled them with earth. So there's kind of stuff that's been put in these wells, junk, earth that's been put in these wells and has blocked them up. And I feel that's what's happening here, that the enemy would try and block your water supply. Now you might think, 
great. We quite like our water supply blocked at the moment. But actually, the water is the water of life. It's the water of blessing. It's the water of the Holy Spirit. And the enemy has tried to block up your wells with all sorts of stuff. All sorts of junk, all sorts of baggage. It may be personal stuff. It may be like unrepented sin. It may be relational back breakdown. It may be uh, some past experience you've had. It may be sinful attitudes. It may be disunity. Maybe all sorts of things that the enemy is trying to block your well. He's trying to fill it in so that you won't draw the water of salvation, so that you won't draw the water of the Holy Spirit. We'll come on to talk about the water of the Spirit a little later, because that's what God wants to flood you with the water of His Holy Spirit. In the Bible, wells, springs, water, oasis are all to do with God's blessing and provision and life in the Spirit. Interesting enough, even this morning, my daily reading this morning was in, uh, where was it? It was in Joshua. <laughs> It was in Joshua 15, and uh, it was about Caleb's daughter. I like Caleb's daughter. Do you remember Caleb is the one spy with uh, Joshua who doesn't have a negative report of the land? And Caleb's daughter is just like Joshua, just like Caleb. Uh, Caleb, in the previous chapters, asked not just for a nice bit of farmland, but a mountainous area. It's like, give me something challenging. Give me a, he's 85 years old. Give me a mountain that I might take. And Caleb's daughter comes and says, give me also springs of water. It's like she wants something from uh, Joshua. She wants something from God, and she's asking for these springs of water. Is that your heart this morning? Give me the water of the Holy Spirit. I want to see our corporate well and my individual well unblocked this morning so that I can draw from the well, I can drink from the well, I can be filled and flooded from and by the water of the Holy Spirit. So let's just read God's Word. It's Genesis chapter 26. And I'm going to read probably from verse 17. So Isaac moved away from there, that's the, the wells that have been blocked up with water, and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And then Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham had died. And he gave them the same names that his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. The herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, this water is ours. So he named the well Esek. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us unless you have an actual translation for Esek. In my NIV Bible, there's a helpful little B, and it says at the bottom, Esek means dispute. We'll come back to that in a moment. Because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well. And they quarreled over that one also. And he named it Sitna. There's a little C there. And Sitna means opposition. He moved on from there and dug another well. And no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth. Saying, and Rehoboth means room or place of space. Saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. And Father, I just uh, bring your word to you. 
I ask you that this uh, prophetic word that Mark had at TAG some two weeks ago about reopening wells here in Fredericton, wells that we have inheritance from, wells that the enemy would love to block up because they're the source of blessing for us. We ask you in Jesus' name that these wells would be reopened today. We pray for an opening of the well of room, the opening of this flourishing, bubbling blessing of the Holy Spirit that this church would flourish in all that she is called to do. And we ask you, Lord, that where there is dispute and opposition, we ask you that that would flee in Jesus' name. That these roots that Gemma was prophesying about, these uh, things that would entangle us, these things that would trip us up, these things that are not the main tap root for us, not the main rootedness in Christ, these other distractions would go in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to just refer to these three wells, and uh, we're probably going to do some ministry as we go. We'll just see how the Holy Spirit leads us. But it's interesting how these wells are named and how that, I think, refers to us. The first one is the well of dispute. And to me, that talks about relational problems, relational difficulties. I've been leading in the body of Christ and part of the body of Christ for such a long time now that I know and understand that we have relational difficulties. I'm sure if you do, you may have joined the church idealistically. You may have come along thinking everyone loves Jesus here. It's going to be sweetness and light because we're family together. Obviously, you've never been in a family, but because we're family together, it's all going to be sweetness and sailing and rose uh, petals and everything's going to be wonderful. But the truth is this, in the body of Christ, even within families, you get relational conflict, you get difficulties. There are, these things are not a possibility, they're a certainty. And uh, the New Testament is very clear about how we deal with relational problems. In fact, it's so interesting. Jesus says two things about relational difficulties, one in Matthew chapter 5 and one in Matthew chapter 18. We haven't got time to look at them now, so I want to get through this quite quickly. But Matthew uh, 5 verse 23 says this, If you know that somebody else has something against you, if you know that there's a relational problem with somebody else, go and sort it out. Before you, before you do your altar experience, before you minister at the altar, go and sort it out. The responsibility is yours. Matthew 18 says something different but similar. It says if you've got something against somebody, go and sort it out. Don't gossip about it. Don't talk to someone about it. Go and sort it out. So yours is the responsibility, whatever. doesn't seem that fair, but it's true. You have the responsibility. Whether it's you know that somebody... Oh, I, I just know that some, Tim has a problem with me. It's Tim's problem, but I know he has a problem with me. I just know it. But I'm not going to sort it out because it's Tim's problem. No, the Bible says go and sort it out with Tim. Now, if I've got a problem with Tim then I also need to go and sort that out. So always the responsibility is on me and on us to initiate forgiveness, repentance, restoration, being together in the family of God. And I would say as a pastor, if we implemented Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, I reckon that 99% of our job would be redundant. (laughs) Mostly, if people just sorted out their relational conflict with one another, went to one another, talked to one another, got right with one another, had a great biblical attitude of forgiveness with one another, then actually 
so much in church life will be sorted. We should be really good at this, church. This should be like, you know, some churches do some things well. Some churches do music well. Some churches do welcome well. Some churches do the, the preaching of the word well. Some, you know, every church has something they do really. We, we should do forgiveness really, really well. It's our business. It's who we are. We have been forgiven such an amazing debt. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't say, I am finished. He said, it's finished. The enmity, the problem, the hostility between us and God, all our sin, all our shame, all our failure, it's dealt with. It's paid for. You're totally free now. It's of grace. It's a gift. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything about it. There's no more need of sacrifices. There's no more need to come with blood of bulls and goats because the lamb has died for us. We've been hearing about that today. It's totally free and we enter into this thing. You mean every sin? I mean, even the really bad stuff, yes, everything is gone. We're totally clean. We're totally free. And Jesus tells a parable, which is kind of gets our attention. And he says this parable, he said there's this guy who's been forgiven of a massive debt. I mean, it's like in our context, it would be millions of pounds. It's like he was totally let off millions of pounds. He's totally free. Then he goes, I'm oh, sorry, dot dollars. Thank you, Joe's keeping me culturally relevant. <laughs> Other currencies are available, but millions of dollars. It's like totally set free. And then he goes out and finds someone who owes him just a few dollars. And he's like strangling them and going like, you owe me. And he said, actually, when the king who let him off the millions of dollars hears that attitude, he's going to have to answer for a few things. Now, actually, we do that. We have been released of everything. The sin, the shame, the guilt, the misery, all that. And then we hold other people indebted to us with their sin. Oh, they sin against me. I'm going to hold a grudge. I'm going to hold a difficulty against them. I'm not going to sort it out. It's their responsibility to sort it out. In fact, Jeremy Tolman said it was their responsibility. You, you selectively hear. Mm -hmm. Jeremy said it's Tim's responsibility. Tim is responsible to sort it out. No, I said all of our responsibility. Mine and Tim's to get together. How great if I've got a problem with Tim, and by the way, I haven't. <laughs> I, I, I looked on the front row to see who I should pick, and I thought, too complicated. <laughs> I'll, I, I'll go with the second row. No, I didn't. <laughs> that's, a, that's a joke. <laughs> Joe, Joe couldn't, couldn't quite reach the kick. But how wonderful if we do have a problem... And both of us move to one another to sort it out together. How beautifully freeing would that be? Tim moves to me, I move to him, we sort it out. That's how it's supposed to be in the body of Christ. I've been released of such a debt, I freely. Jesus says, freely you've received, freely give. I've received forgiveness, freely sort it out. Now, I do, and I think that's why when we take bread and wine... It's so important to examine our hearts. It's so important to look at our relationships together. I think that's why it's important to have bread and wine regularly together so that we remind ourselves that actually Jesus paid it all. Let's forgive one another of all the debts. And my appeal to you today, I know it's hard to imagine, but if there was any relational conflict, if there was any debt at all, if there was anything, please get it sorted out now. Here's a little trick the enemy does. He says this, don't go and sort it out with Tim, because if you sort it out with Tim, it'll cause more problems. Best to let sleeping dogs lie. Do you use that expression here? Yeah. Don't, you know, don't mess with them. 
No, it's best, biblically, to sort it out. Even if I'm, Tim is not sure, even if it's going to be a bit more difficult with our relationship to start with, ultimately it's going to cement our relationship together. Ultimately, we're going to be stronger together. So I want to say, if the well of your life is full of dispute and relational conflict, please today sort it out. Please go to Tim. <laughs> There's going to be this line. <laughs> Emma's first in the line. <laughs> That's gonna be, sorry, I love Tim. I couldn't think of anyone have a problem with Tim. That's the thing. <laughs> Go and sort it out. The second well, I think, is a little more complicated. And it's just interesting that it kind of ups the level for me. Now, it doesn't say it here, but it does use a word that is just more than dispute. It's just more than relational difficulty. It uses the word opposition. And I would say that this is now into a new territory, that this is spiritual warfare. Now, the Bible says this very clearly in 1 Corinthians. It says in 1 Corinthians 10 that these things written down in the Old Testament are written for our examples. They're examples for us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, first the natural, then the spiritual. It's like these are naturally occurring things to give us spiritual examples, and they are examples of life for us. In fact, in context, he's actually talking about their wanderings in the desert. He's actually talking about these kind of things. He says, they're written down so that we might learn from them. Well, what do we learn from this? Don't let a Philistine fill your well. It's kind of like a weird thing because there's not many Philistines around, (laughs) and most of us, apart from Ben, don't have wells. But actually, spiritually, we understand what it means. The, the Philistines are the enemy. They're a spiritual, they're a natural enemy in the Old Testament. They're a type of a spiritual enemy that comes against the people of God. And they've put junk in your well. And it's like you're being opposed. And I just feel right now in this local church, as we've come in, and sometimes you come in and sense what God's doing, and we come in and sense that you're right on the edge of breakthrough. It's like, your worship times, God's really with you. Your prayer times, God's really with you. And do you know what? The enemy doesn't go, win some, you lose some. You know, oh, I'll back off then. No, actually, at these times, the enemy presses right in. At the times of most breakthrough, at the times when it looks like God is going to deliver his people, at the times when it looks like there's going to be mighty deliverance, mighty breakthrough, the enemy presses in even more. He doesn't play fair. So when God was just about to release his people from Egypt, actually there's the mass slaughter of babies as the enemy tries to get rid of anyone who could be the conquering prophet, who could be the one who could come through. And God miraculously provides provision for Moses in the water, in the bulrushes as we know. In the New Testament, the enemy seems to know something's afoot. He doesn't quite know everything, but he knows a lot. And he knows the deliverer's coming. He, he, he's heard angels in the sky singing good news and glory to God and peace on earth and goodwill to all men. He's seen miraculous things happen. He's seen shepherds. He's seen incredible things going on. And actually, he decides, I will kill all the babies. Let's just get rid of everyone who's of that age, the slaughter of the innocents. The enemy always tries to snuff out. He always comes to oppose you. Now, perversely, you can be vaguely encouraged by this, (laughs) that what you're doing here in Fredericton, 
that what you're doing in terms of building the church, that what you're doing in terms of reaching out and planting into Charlottetown, and planting into Wolfville, and planting into Halifax, and planting into St. John's, what you're doing is actually taking enemy territory, and the enemy really isn't happy. You're on his radar again, and he's seen the blip of Fredericton, blip, blip, blip on the radar, and he goes, I think I'd like to take that out. I think I'd like to snuff that out. Now, let me give you some biblical understanding of spiritual warfare. When Jesus builds his church, when the kingdom comes through the church, the enemy doesn't like it. Jesus said this, I will build my church. What's the next verse? Who mentioned gates of hell? I mean, really, we just want to build the church, don't we, Joe? We just want nice communities of the Spirit, friendly, happy relationships. Who could argue with that? Who could come against that? Against such things, there's no law, Paul would say. Well, actually, against such things, there is an enemy who would say, I don't want communities of the Spirit. I don't want people having strongholds broken. I don't want people having chains broken. I don't want people who are infiltrating their local community and bringing light into darkness, because I quite like the darkness, thank you very much. So the enemy opposes. When Jesus builds his church, which he's doing at the moment, and when we start to plant new churches and reach out, it's what we're doing at the moment, the enemy comes in to attack. Now, we think the enemy's out there. All this horned little devil out there somewhere, some enemy, some devil, some disembodied spirit out there that's trying to attack us. Let me tell you how it happens in reality. In reality, it comes through you. In reality, it comes to that person next to you. In reality, that's what happened. Now, I picked that scripture deliberately in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus said, on this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Little test for you here, see who's uh, most knowledgeable. What was the context of that? He pauses for a glass of water while you answer. What was the context of that? Who said that? Emma. What, what, what did Peter just say? That's right. So, G- exactly right, Emma. Top of the class. <laughs> Unlike your husband. <laughs> So the context, the context is Jesus has just decided to go to another level with his disciples and he starts, as always Jesus does, by asking a question, who do people say that I am? Oh, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say this. Peter says, yeah, so Jesus says then to Peter, but who do you say that I am? And Peter opens his mouth. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus goes, hey, well done, Pete. Brilliant, amazing. Heaven revealed that to you. Uh, You didn't get that from earth. You didn't get that from any person. Heaven revealed it to you. And you can imagine Peter's response. Because Peter is a bit like this. We know his character from the Bible. You just imagine, he goes, hey, guys, do you hear that? When I open my mouth, heaven speaks. Just want you to know, perfect communication with God in heaven. Just want you to know, I hear God. Just want you to know, uh, Jesus has just said on that statement, he's going to build a church, whatever that is. But he's going he's to he's do that. Now, 
Then Jesus decides, if you look in the context, you read it, it's funny, it's hilarious. Were it not sad, Jesus is going to the next level with them. So he says, okay, I'm going to self-disclose a little bit more. Let me tell you what the Christ really is. Let me tell you what the suffering servant really is. Let me tell you what the Messiah really is. The Messiah, Christ, I am going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. And I'm going to give my life. And Peter says, may it never be, Lord. Heaven's open, I'm sure that's the right thing to say. May the Messiah live forever. May he never die. And Jesus turns to him and says what? Get behind me, Satan. You think, huh? How can the same mouth at one point pour out beautiful revelation from heaven and then a few moments later be demonic? How can heaven and hell speak out of the same mouth? Well, it just happens like that. Because heaven easily speaks through us. And do you know what? Unless we're guarded and aware, hell speaks through us as well. So opposition doesn't come from some witch on a hill. Opposition comes from our friends, our family, our community, the people we most love, the people that are closest to us. And we just need to be aware of this because Paul will later write in Ephesians chapter 6, we do not fight against flesh and blood. Because Why would he write that? Because it seems like it comes through flesh and blood. So your fight isn't with that person. Your fight is what is behind that person. Let me give you a personal story of this. A couple of years ago, Anne and I were on holiday in Greece, and we made a little mistake uh, naturally. And sometimes the enemy comes in on natural things. The mistake was this. We'd had a busy season where we'd been to Africa for two weeks. Then almost immediately we'd been to Vancouver for two weeks. And the time difference between UK and Africa, actually, and Vancouver is about eight hours. And we hadn't quite factored that in because we flew in on one day, like on one, literally on one day. The next morning, early morning, we were off to Greece for our holiday. And then Greece is two hours the other way. So instead of eight hours time lag, it's 10 hours time lag. But we think, oh, that's great, we're going on holiday. Well, actually, we had not factored in how tired. We'd come off the back of a month of ministry. We hadn't factored in how, how, how our flesh would feel about that. And do you know what? I know this is hard for you to believe. We got grumpy with each other. <laughs> we got irritable with each other. We started to argue with each other. Now, Anne and I have a relatively fiery relationship most of the time anyway, but I would tell you this, most of the time, 99% of the time, we sort it out straight away. We get it sorted. We're pretty good at that. Get it sorted. Bring it out. Get it sorted. Well, this went on for how many days, Anne? <laughs> Probably the best part of a week. And uh, arguments were going on. There was underlying tension. And I'm just putting it down to, oh, we're just tired. No, there's something more going on here. Well, I've got, I'll let you into a secret. I didn't, I didn't think there was something more going on here. I just thought we were tired. So we're having this argument walking down the street, and Anne stops, and she says, Jeremy, there's something more going on here than just us being tired. I go, no, there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> knowing, full, knowing full well she's right, but don't want to admit it at that point. <laughs> go, oh, why didn't I see that? Blow, you've got the right answer. And I'm stubborn, so I didn't want to... No, no, we actually said, yes, that's right. There's an, this is an enemy attack. Because it wasn't just our time. We should be through that. 
there was something that was seeking to bring us down after a month of very successful ministry, actually. So we prayed there and then in the street in Greece, held a hand, and we prayed. We, we, we come against whatever's coming against us, and in, we don't fight flesh and blood, and in Jesus' name, we rebuke it. Do you know what? It changed there and then. No more arguments for the rest of the holiday. No more tensions. Something was identified and something was defeated. Now, that's just a little silly illustration, but there's thousands of those going on all the, all the time. And we're tempted to fight flesh and blood. We're tempted to come against one another. So I would just give, let me just give you two clues to fighting, or two helps to fighting. Number one, stop fighting one another. <laughs> number, so number one, refuse to engage with the fight with that other person. And just stop fighting with me. It's annoying because I wanted to carry on fighting. Just stop fighting. Jesus was silent before his accusers. He just didn't answer. Stop Sometimes we just need to stop fighting and agree it's the enemy, refusing to engage. Second thing I would say is this. We won by our unity together. We won by our prayer of agreement. We won by identifying and agreeing together. And I would say this, in times of opposition... The best weapon for us is unity. The enemy tries to divide, but united we stand. And this is what it says in Ephesians 6, verse 13. After you've done everything, stand. Ephesians 4, verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And I would say this, we're all being attacked right now. This isn't aimed at anyone here. It's not aimed at any particular relationship here. Not even aimed at Tim, be released from that. This is all of us. I'm as infected by these things as you are. I line up with Peter. <laughs> it's not bad to line up with Peter, is it? I line up with Peter. You line up with Peter. Heaven comes out of our mouth on a Sunday, and hell comes out of our mouth on a Monday sometimes. And actually, we just need to recognize it and call it what it is and not stand for it. Because like Gemma's roots, if, they, if we don't deal with them, they will grow and strangle us. If we don't get this opposition out of our well, we'll never drink the clean and pure water of the Holy Spirit that's been designed for us. And I would say this. When the enemy attacks you, just do the opposite. Just a great little easy thing to remember. So actually, if you feel you're being attacked in the whole area of your finances... It's like everything just seems to be going wrong at the moment. Everything, you know, it's like, do you know what I encourage you to do? Give a whole load away. Just go, I'm going to operate in a different spirit to this. I'm going to just give it all away. If you're, not all away, but although you could do that if you want, but just give more. If you're struggling in your marital relationship, and even sometimes other people are looking more attractive, or they're related, actually... The answer is to pull into your marriage, to strengthen your relationship together. Do the opposite of what the enemy is trying to get you to do. If you feel that you don't trust leadership or, or lack of trust of somebody, it could be a husband or a wife, or it could be in a school context, or a, it could be in a work context, or it could be in a church context, go and express your confidence and love to that person. Do the opposite of what the enemy is trying to do. If you're tempted to be critical and 
judgmental. And if you're tempted to do that, go into the person and actively encourage them. I can remember a certain elder, that I, not Don, by the way, just in case you think it was Don, uh, but a certain elder that, I, was, that I'd, I, I had trouble with and I had difficulty with. And I was kind of jealous of them and it was difficult back, back in the day. And I can just remember just trying to bless them as much as I could and trying to speak well of them as much. And then they became a really good friend, funnily enough. The enemy is trying to undermine. Let's stand in unity and let's do the opposite of what the enemy is trying to do. And let's do some agreeing together. You do not fight this on your own. Every verb in Ephesians chapter 6, when it talks about the armour of God, it's all corporate, it's all together. And we tend to think it's just me and my little battle. No, we're in this together. So, halfway through this message, well, not quite halfway, why don't we respond right now? It's not over, we haven't finished yet, there's more to say. But if you feel, if you identify, either with the relational conflict or with the opposition, Part of the battle is going to be to self-disclose now. Part of the battle is going to... Part of the, you win the battle by standing up now, if you can stand, or if you can't stand by raising your hand. You're going, to ra- you're going to win the battle by saying, that's me, because it's brought it out into the light. It's brought it out into the open. And we can pray with you and pray for you, and we can stand with you, and we can put things right with you, and we can move on. So who here feels that they are in a battle right now? Lots of you. So why don't you, st- if you're putting your hand, loads of hands just shot up there, like, whoa. So why don't you stand right now? You just feel you're in a battle. Now, this shouldn't surprise us, should it? It shouldn't surprise us that our leaders feel that they're at the forefront of this battle. It shouldn't surprise us that many people in this room are feeling this. So why don't we just pray now? If you're next to someone, we're not going to have a long ministry time here, but if you're next to someone, why don't you just go and uh, put your hand on them and with them. If you want to go and stand with one of these, if one of these are your particular friends or you're in particular relationship with one of these and you just want to stand with them while I'm praying, then we're going to do this quickly, but why don't you just do that right now? So why don't we just move around and just stand with a few of these people? Just stand with them. We're not going to minister to them long. We're not going to counsel them. We're not going to ask them what it is. It, they know what it is. God knows what it is. Just a few go and move now. So you've got a few people with you. So you should probably either be standing or just praying, um, unless you're a guest here, in which case you're so welcome. And uh, you're welcome to respond. Now, if you're, if you're, maybe husbands and wives are just standing together, maybe you just put a hand on each other's shoulder or friends standing together, just put a hand on one another's shoulder so that we're not alone in this, okay? Now, I'm just going to pray, but also, there's no going back now. You've identified. We've seen you. <laughs> and the battle is on. And the battle is starting to be won because you've stepped up and said, I will not have this happen to me. I am going to see victory. Now, Lord Jesus, we thank you as we heard today, you're the head of the church, you're the Lord, you're the King. We thank you that we heard today that your blood was shed for us, that you broke every bit of the enemy's power on the cross. And we now declare that his power, the enemy's power, is broken. He is no longer our Lord and our Master because we are under the Lordship and mastery of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is the king and the enemy might sound like a roaring lion, but actually we have the roaring lion who comes and roars victory over us. And he would sing his songs of deliverance and freedom over us right now. So in Jesus' name, we rebuke the enemy. We bind the enemy. We come against the enemy and we say no more. We're not going to receive his junk anymore. We're going to get this junk out of our lives. If it's relational conflict, we're going to put it right. We make a decision. If it's identifying the enemy, well, we've identified him now. And we're going to stand in unity together against an enemy. And we're going to pray now for the powerful, mighty filling of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you fill us with power and authority. Lord Jesus, that you come and you've broken the power of the enemy and you've given us words of eternal life. You've spoken truth to us. And Jesus, you said truth is going to set us free. And right now we declare the truth over one another, that we are no longer captive to an enemy. We're no longer under his power, that we are no longer bound by him, that we are now under Jesus's power and authority. Why don't you just pray that in right now? Just pray it into one another. Freedom, Lord, release in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's some very precious things going on across this room. And many of these things are going to be followed up and followed through. Those of you who are in life groups, you need to look around, see members of your life group. Follow it through. Don't be afraid to ask. These people have stood saying they need help. These people have stood saying we want to see breakthrough. These people have stood to say we're in a battle. Help us, please. Stand together. We don't condemn one another because we're all in the battle. Every one of us can be infected by this. And every one of us needs to stand together. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Now, if you're still praying and ministering, that's wonderful. If you feel comfortable to sit down. But just do note who stood. Note who's... Don't let this be an unmentionable thing. Actually... I want you to mention it. I want the elders here to be aware. I want the pastoral team, the life group leaders, I want the body to be generally aware of what's going on here so that we can follow it through. And it may be a minor thing like Adam and my squabble in Greece and over in a moment, or it may be a major thing that we need to stand together. Sometimes we need a little bit of help. We've identified a bit of rubble in our well but we just need a bit of help pulling it out and pulling it up. And that's what the body of Christ is for, that we help one another to do that. The third well that we've come to, we've talked about the well of dispute, we've talked about the well of opposition. The third well is the well of room. And I believe that God wants to bring you as a church into a new sense of room 
and a new sense of flourishing. He said, when they got to that, we flourished. It says in, I think, verse 22, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in this land. And I believe the Lord says, I've given you room. I've given you space. Uh, To use Gemma's analogy, I've given you space to grow. I've given you space to spread your wings. I've given you space for your ministry. I've given you space for your creativity. I'm giving you space for all those gifts that I put in you. You're no longer in some confined part of the garden. I'm giving you space to grow. I'm giving you space to spread out. And this is what God had promised the Israelites right at the beginning, Exodus chapter 3. God said this to them, I've come down to the rescue. I'm going to rescue you from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring you out into the land, into a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. They'd been imprisoned. They'd been a slavery people. They'd been told what to do, what to wear, where to go, how to build. And suddenly I'm giving you space. It says this in Psalm 18, verse 19. He has brought me out into a spacious place. And he has rescued me because he delights in me. And God is giving you a spacious place. Those who feel confined, he's giving you the space to grow. Now, it's really interesting. As I was studying this and thinking about this, I was actually reminded of another time when Jesus talks about a a roomy place, a place of room. And just bear with me a moment because you won't see the initial connection, but then I think the penny will drop and you'll go, oh, yeah, right? The dollar will drop. (laughs) (laughs) You're a bit slow, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Always. John 14, verse 2, Jesus says this, and this phrase is really important. In my Father's house are many rooms. It's a roomy place. I'm going to prepare a spacious place, a room, for you, where we can dwell together. Now, I know what most people think. That's about heaven. Most people think Jesus is some celestial hotelier and he's like preparing the guest suite for me, the honeymoon suite for me, the nice space, he's plumping up the cushions, he's putting some fresh linen, he's putting a little chocolate on the bed, he's like preparing a place for me for eternity. I don't believe that scripture is about heaven alone, there is a heavenly dimension to it, but actually it's about the church, the new temple. You think, Jeremy, how on earth do you get that? Well, I'll tell you why. First of all, theologically, this is what Jesus said. I'm going to come and make, uh, I'm going to make a place for you, and then I am going to come back to you, and we're going to dwell there together. Well, of course, that's Jesus' second coming, isn't it? Well, actually, in context, it's not. When did he come back to them? He sat in John 14, In John 16 and 17, he told them what was going to happen. I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come back to you. How am I going to come back to you? I'm going to send you one just like me who's going to dwell, live in these rooms with you. Who's that? The Holy Spirit. When did that happen? Acts chapter 2. The Spirit came down and made a dwelling place. God with men. God with us. Emmanuel. God with us. He made this wonderful, beautiful room, which is called the church, 
in context, it's the temple. We are the new temple now. We're living stones built together to be this magnificent temple. This is the space. This is the room. This is the place of flourishing. Not in some eternity, although we will flourish big time then, but here and now on planet Earth, in the church together. And actually, even if you look at that little phrase, and I got just revelation on this as I study it, in my father's house, the Bible interprets the Bible. You look at the only other two uses of that word. This is it. In John 2, verse 16, Jesus said this to the money changers, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. It's the temple. Luke 2, uh, 2, verse 49, when Jesus was a little boy, 12-year-old boy probably, why are you searching for me, he said to Mary and Joseph, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house, in the temple, that's where he was, in the temple steps debating. So when Jesus says in John 14, in my father's house, he's saying in the temple. And actually we know from the New Testament interpretation that we are the new temple. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Ephesians 2, verse 21 talks about this temple. It says this, In him, in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, in Christ, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It's about the church. Dear friends, this place of room, this place of space, this place of flourishment is in the church. Don't get isolated from the church. Find your place of dwelling in the church. Find your place of dwelling amongst the saints. Find the flourishing of your gift. Now, this is your place of rooting. To quote Gemma's thing, you're, you're, and Joe picks up, you're rooted in Christ. We're rooted in the local church. Now, your place of fruiting might well be in the workplace, might well be in the family, might well be in the neighborhood. In fact, probably it's going to be. But we're rooted here in a spacious place in order that we might fruit out into the workplace, that we might fruit out into the world, that our branches might go over the wall and into all of life. But dear friends, God has poured out his spirit that you might be in a flourishing, spacious place. I love, I'm not going to finish with this. Anne's going to then come in and we're going to pray. I love the way it says, this fresh water. It's not some stagnant well. It's not some old, musty, yucky. <laughs> I said to Joel this morning, I said, how, how much, how deep's the water in the building? 22 inches. And I said, is it kind of fresh water or is it sewage water? <laughs> he said, put it this way, I wouldn't drink it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this is not like the water in your basement. This is not river water. This is the water of the Holy Spirit. This is the well of the Holy Spirit that's going to cause you. It, the word there is it, it's freshly bubbling. It's freshly. This is the well of salvation. This is the water of the Spirit. Now, Jesus visited one of these like wells a few hundred years later. We don't know which well it was. We know that it was a well dug by Jacob 
We don't know whether it was one of the family wells, because Jacob, of course, is Isaac's son. May well be one of the exact wells. We don't know exactly which well it was. But Jesus sat next to a well that had family inheritance, and he spoke to the woman at the well. And he said this to the woman at the well, whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give will be within them a spring of living water dwelling into eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus applies this to us. And in John 7, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow out from him. By this, he meant the Spirit. You put all that together, and we're saying this. In the church, in the place of dwelling, in the place where Jesus is building his church together, living stones together, Jesus pours out his spirit on us so that we might flourish. The only qualification is thirst. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Do you want more of the Holy Spirit? Do you want him to come and fill you and flood you more? Or is it like, oh, we're a bit more lively than the Baptists? You know, it's a bit happier here than the Methodists. It's a little bit more friendly than some of the Presbyterians or the Anglicans or whatever. No, this is the place of flourishing. This is a place of life. This is a place of you drinking in the Holy Spirit. I was talking to Anne about thirst and hunger, and she came up with this great illustration. I'm going to read you a story. In the early years of the 20th century a young man emigrated from Europe to the United States. Being of limited means, he had scraped and saved for quite some time in order to have the money for his steamship ticket. Finally, with ticket in hand, he packed his few belongings, including enough bread and cheese to eat over the week-long voyage. During the journey, he passed his days peacefully by walking the decks or resting in his cabin. Every now and then, he would pass by the ship's dining hall and savour the aromas of the rich and varied dishes served there. Sometimes, he even stood and watched through the window as other passengers enjoyed their meals. Then, knowing he could never afford such a banquet, he would hurry back to his cabin and parcel out some of his bread and cheese. On the final day of the trip, the young man stood on the deck in the shadow of the Statue of Liberty, nibbling on the last of his bread and cheese as the ship approached New York Harbor. The ship's purser passed by, and seeing the young man by the railing, asked, Have you enjoyed your trip, sir? Yes, very much. I noticed that you are eating some old bread and cheese. Were the meals on board not to your liking? I don't understand. Did you find the dining room food objectionable? Oh, no. I've been eating this bread and cheese all week because I couldn't afford to eat in the dining room. I had only enough money to buy my ticket. With a surprised look on his face, the purser said, I'm sorry, sir. Didn't you realize that the price of your ticket paid for everything, not only your birth, but all, also your meals as well. And I just want to read a scripture, which you would know very well, from Hebrews 12, 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Today is a day of throwing off all that hinders us. There's so much for us out there. There's a humongous feast for every one of us to enjoy. But I think some of us are still nibbling at just the bare morsels that are left over from everybody else who's been feasting. And the feast is there for all, for all of us. But there are many of us who just are hindered by really taking on board everything that he has for us. So I think, you know, Holy Spirit says, throw it off. Mm. Throw off mm. all that is hindering you today. So we're just going to end right now. And I believe there's a new hunger here. I believe there's a new thirst here for the Holy Spirit. Stop eating moldy bread. Stop eating scraps that you have protected from years ago. There's a rich feast. There's a well of living water. There's everything you need for life and godliness. There's a flourishing of the Spirit. Why? Because Jesus' blood has paid for all of it. Not just paid so that you might go to heaven, not just paid so that you might be forgiven, but paid so that you might flourish in this room, in this hotel, <laughs> in this place, flourishing right now. So we're going to end just by praying for one another again. And I know that there's going to be issues with children. I understand that. One of the elders might need to bring some direction. But I, if you feel, I just want to drink again from the Holy Spirit. I just want to flourish again. My well's run dry. I've got some junk out of it. But still, the well's empty. Well, the danger is, if you stay with an empty well, it's a temptation to the enemy to fill it up again. Jesus said about the man who was... A demon was cast out of a house. Unless you fill the house with something new, he's going to go and find seven friends and come back and say, I found a clean one. <laughs> Actually, this well has been cleaned out in order that it might be full of the Spirit. And once you fill the well with water, it's going to bubble forth and bubble out into the community. So if that's you, if you feel, I want to just receive the Spirit afresh. And I guess we'll carry on doing this tonight and may even carry on doing it on Wednesday night as we gather praying for one another because this is not a once-off thing and sometimes the well starts with a trickle and then it starts to fill up. If that's you, why don't you stand up right now? And it's going to be a lot of the same people and a lot of other people as well. You just feel, I want to receive freshly of the Holy Spirit. I want to receive, I want to drink freshly of this well. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So why don't you just lift your hands to him? And again, if you feel you want to go and pray with someone or stand with someone, that's fine as well. But we're not looking at anyone else right now. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, but we're focusing on Jesus. We're throwing off everything that's hindered us, every little scrap of the enemy. And we now say, Lord, we come and we say we are thirsty like that little boy on this ship. We're hungry like that little lad. We, we've been surviving on bread and cheese. And Jesus, we come to you. Jesus said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And we come now and we drink you in, Lord Jesus. We drink the provision that you promised us, which is the Spirit 
given to us. You said when you're glorified, you'll pour out the Spirit, and that's what we will now receive. We receive the Holy Spirit, one just like Jesus. We drink him in right now. Just drink him in. Just receive him. Just, just imbibe him. Just come and drink him. Let the well be full of the Spirit again. Let there be room here now in Christ Central Fredericton. Let this literal old hotel be a place of the dwelling of God, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Come, Lord, just upon us now. Come and fill us now. Come and flood us now. Fill us again with the Holy Spirit and power and authority. Fill us again, not just for us, Lord. Fill us that we might flourish in the community. Fill us, Lord, that we might flourish in our schools and colleges. Fill us, Lord, that we might flourish in our businesses. Fill us, Lord, that we might flourish with arts and crafts and uh, creativity and songs and artwork. And fill us that we might flourish in the legal settings and the educational settings and the health settings that you put us in, the business settings, the sectors of community that you call us to work in. It's 12 o'clock now. Where will we be 12 o'clock tomorrow? That's where we want to flourish, Lord. That's where we want to fruit. We want to now be rooted so that we can be fruiting in the world, in the workplace. Fill us, Lord. I pray for prophetic gifts of the Holy Spirit. Pray for anointings of the Spirit that come to us that our well might be full again. Lord, just as you've given a prophetic sign in nature, it's time for Fredericton to be flooded again. We believe it's time for this church to be flooded again. It's time for this church to be flooded again with the life-giving Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Now, what I find in these settings is sometimes it's good just to fix our eyes on Him. We're, the band are just going to lead us into a song. You might want to sing along. You might not. But it, it's just giving us a little bit of a, a focus as we fix our eyes on Jesus. You might want to say the words, but you might just want to say your own words to him. You might just want to have your own. If you speak in other languages, your prayer language, if you speak in what the Bible calls speaking in tongues, you might want to just do that. Because as you speak in other languages, it just starts, it's like it turns the tap on to fill the well sometimes. It just starts to do that. You might just want to tell him you love him. You might just want to reflect on the joy of your salvation. You might just want to tell him as we sing this song together, just tell him as we end this meeting, tell him you love him. Tell him that you want to be a full well of the Spirit in life this week. Come, Holy Spirit.